Good morning, Forest View. I'm Elizabeth Miller, and I'm part of the teaching team here. And welcome to the fourth Sunday in Advent, the week of love. I am glad to be with you this morning. Thank you to Tiffany and family for lighting the candle. Thank you, Mike, for your prayer. And welcome to all the children who are with us this morning. Uh, we are glad to see your faces, and today is a good day to remember how big the family of God is. All ages welcome. I will talk longer, and I won't be as much fun as your regular Sunday school teachers, but I will not talk forever. Um, thank you to the choir, too, uh, for singing and helping us worship today. Uh, they really did have a busy day, and next door was super busy. I think 150 people went through. Um, and thank you to our kind and patient friends from Compass Point who were running the kitchen because they had their hands full, um, and they did a great job. And Greg and Jen, uh, thank you again for taking the lead on the choir. You guys have done a great job. So far in Advent, we've explored the themes of hope, peace, and joy uh, with messages from Doug and Paul. Um, and part of the season is intended for grief. Uh, we take time to grieve and be sad that there is a lack of those very things, hope, peace, joy, and love all around us. In 1943, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, am I doing this right? What do I need to do? Oh, 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 look. Here we go. He said, um, he was held captive in a military prison at this time, and in a letter to one of his students, he said, by the way, a prison cell like this is a good analogy for Advent. When waits, hopes, does this or that, ultimately negligible things, the door is locked and can only be opened from the outside. It can only be opened from the outside. And our world needs help. We, we need help. This is what Advent tells us, is that we need outside help, and that help is Jesus. And it's in Jesus where these things, hope, peace, joy, and love, are best and most realized. And we get to celebrate uh, the coming of Jesus on Tuesday night, Christmas Eve. So like Paul said, come, 5 o'clock and 7 o'clock. So part of Advent is grief. The other part of it is anticipation and looking forward to Jesus coming again. So just as Jesus came as a baby 2,000 years ago to a little town in the Middle East, and he continues to come to us today through the Holy Spirit, one day Jesus is coming again, and there will be a new world, and everything will be made right. I don't know how much you think about the next world. I have to admit that I didn't really think about it or even really want it till maybe a few years ago. But one thing about the next world that gets me excited is that it is going to be a big reunion. Um, and anyone who's been under Mark Evans' leadership in youth group will remember the Cloud of Witnesses series that he regularly did. And this is going to be heaven one day, the cloud of witnesses together, like a big family reunion. So just take a few minutes and think about who you're going to see and visit with when Jesus comes again and makes a new heaven and a new earth. I think about Doug and Rue's friend, Ron Seabrook, um, who passed away so suddenly this fall, and I think we'll be able to meet him one day. For those of you who have journeyed with us for a while, you'll think of people from our church family here that we miss. We think of Paul and Kate's two little babies, John and Elizabeth, 
we think of Matt Stone, Julia Bayer, we'll get to see Thelma Woodward again, who heard just arriving in heaven a few weeks ago, along with Les and Margaret Horn. I'm sure you've got your own list of family members and friends that you've been missing, parents, grandparents, siblings. One day you will see them again. And this will be good, the cloud of witnesses together. Along with all these people that we're going to be reunited with are the people that we read about in the Bible. And imagine that. We'll be able to chat with one of the disciples, you know, have coffee with Matthew. Maybe Peter will take one of you kids fishing. Maybe you'll talk with Queen Esther. Maybe it's Moses and his stories of crossing the Red Sea, his adventures, entering the promised land that you'll want to talk more about. One of the people that we read about in the Bible that I'm curious to get to know more is Joseph, the father of Jesus. One of my frustrations with the gospel writers sometimes is that they are so sparse with details. And often when we read the stories in the scriptures, we want to hear more. And heaven is going to be the time for them to spill the tea, the whole pot. And I want to hear about Joseph specifically. This week, our passage of scripture today is Matthew 1, 18 to 25. So let's read it together. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him, and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus, the word of the Lord. You will notice that we are going to have a few pictures of Joseph this morning. Now, we didn't know what he looked like exactly because there wasn't cameras back then, but we know that he's from the Middle East, so he would have had darker skin and probably black or dark brown hair. He probably had a beard, but some of you kids are going to notice that all the pictures of him this morning are going to be different. And that's because artists have just tried to paint him the way that they imagine him. So don't be confused. They are all Joseph. This is what we do know about Joseph, though. Commentators and historians tell us that Mary was in her teens and Joseph was older, probably in his 20s or 30s. And when Mary and Joseph were alive, marriage consisted of a few things. So there was a covenant or a promise to marry, money was exchanged, there was a time of waiting, and then there was a celebration and the consummation on the first night of a seven-day wedding banquet. It would have been an arranged marriage, meaning that their parents would have matched them up. And it's most likely that Joseph and Mary did not spend private time together before the wedding. During this time in Galilee, it was frowned upon for engaged couples to spend time together in private. And unfaithfulness during this engagement time was considered as serious as adultery. 
So for Mary to be pregnant during their engagement was a big deal. And her pregnancy would unquestionably appear to be unfaithfulness to Joseph. And it would be a serious offense. It would have been a great disgrace and dishonor to Joseph. It's not something that people would have just shrugged their shoulders at or looked the other way. In New Testament times, Joseph would have divorced Mary before a judge with two witnesses, disassociate himself from the whole mess, and get back any bride price that he had paid. This is what he was planning to do. And of course, Joseph is a good man, and he would have done this quietly and quickly to save face, but also he wasn't going to be vindictive or mean about it. He just wanted out. Until one night, he has a dream. And an angel of the Lord speaks to him. And the angel tells him the message that angels always tell humans is, don't be afraid. And then he tells him what to do next. He says, know that this baby is from the Holy Spirit. Take Mary home as your wife. Name the baby Jesus. And this is all according to ancient prophecy. And that's what people from the Old Testament had said was going to happen. And somehow, Joseph knew that something strange and beautiful was going on. Somehow, Joseph recognized the voice of God, and he did what the angel said. Now, there's lots that we don't know about Joseph, and it's not like Matthew or any of the gospel writers fill in all the gaps for us, but Joseph's name pops up a number of times throughout the gospels. So we know that Joseph and Mary took Jesus to the temple to be circumcised on the eighth day, and that Joseph brought a modest sacrifice. We know that Joseph and Mary escaped to Egypt after his birth because King Herod had ordered all the babies to be killed. And then when the political climate had settled down, they moved back to Nazareth and lived there. We know that when Jesus was 12, he got lost in the synagogue, and his parents were worried, and they came looking for him. And some of you kids might know about that being left at church without your parents. We know that people call Jesus the son of a carpenter. So Joseph must have worked as a carpenter. But then we don't hear much about Joseph. Some historians say that he probably died when Jesus was about 20, because it doesn't seem like Joseph is around for his public ministry. We just read about Mary being at the cross, uh, but no Joseph. So that makes sense about Joseph dying earlier. And that's our story of Joseph. I want to say one thing about story before we go ahead. God could have done this a number of ways. Kind of explain, you know, what the world's about, what we're about, what he's about, how life's going to work. He could have done it in a number of ways. And for lots of good reasons, God could have downloaded like a heavy theological textbook that carefully explains salvation and all the intricacies of doctrines of theology. It would have big words, headings, and subtitles, and it would have been clear and concise, and some of us would have loved it. God did not do that. He had a better plan, and instead of a textbook, God gave us a library that tells a grand story. And this image here, I know it's hard to read, so I'm I'm going to tell you what it is, but this is worth a whole other conversation. This is the Bible, And it's divided into these six books. So the first one is the Pentateuch. We've got the historical books, poetry, prophets. And then the last two are the Gospels and Acts, and then Epistles and Revelation. This library of books 
tells a big story. And this is how we know God and know ourselves. Even Northrop Fry, he's a famous atheist. He acknowledges the powerful story contained in the scriptures, and he describes the Bible as the perfect story. He says, it is a progress from despair to joy, from chaos to order, from innocence to hard-won illumination, from isolation to community, from violence to holiness. The perfect story, he says. So during Advent, we've got this theological doctrine of the incarnation, which is a fancy word for saying God becoming a human being. Sometimes we we call God Emmanuel because it means God with us. And this is key to our Christian faith. And guess what? It quietly comes to us in this story in the first chapter of Matthew. It's interesting to read the New Testament because here we have God in the flesh. And what does Jesus do? He tells stories. It seems almost beneath him or that we're a little embarrassed sometimes or at least surprised that he mostly tells stories. It's not like he writes thesis after thesis and nails them on the doors of the synagogues. He doesn't give intellectual lectures or write big books. But instead, we've got the almighty God with us saying things like, so, there was this farmer or... One day, a woman lost a coin, or so there was this party. God in the flesh, Jesus, he told stories. And the thing about story is that it is an invitation. Stories have a storyteller. This is God's story, but he invites us to listen in and to participate in his story. This is when I wish I was a Jewish rabbi. Have you heard of the Jewish tradition of Midrash? It's this ancient tradition that Jewish rabbis do. It comes from this Hebrew uh, root word, drash, which has a whole bunch of verbs attached to it because there's a lot going on in it. And it's rabbis who are like steeped in the Bible and the questions of their time. They tell stories, they ask questions to come to a truer understanding of the scriptures. So it's this great combination of deep reverence and love for the Torah and theological creativity. I love that the Bible can be a conversation starter rather than a conversation ender. And there's appreciation for the spaces and questions that are in the Bible. And this tradition of Midrash invites you to think and read between the lines and ask questions. Because it is not just the consumption of information that's going to nurture our faith. But it has to involve our imaginations. So we're not a company of rabbis this morning. But when we look at the story of Joseph today, I'd like us to steep ourselves in the text and use it to invigorate our imaginations a little and allow ourselves to be invited into this story. So this is what we know about Joseph. He was devout. He listened to the angels. Now, remember, years. there had been no prophets or direct words from God for the last 400 years. So historians, theologians call these the 400 years of silence. So put yourself in Joseph's shoes. If it was us today, it would be like the last prophet, the last revival, the last movement of the Spirit was from the 1600s. That's a long time ago. 
And would you even have hope after 400 years of not hearing anything? Would we still believe? Joseph was a man who did. He must have been a patient man of faith. Here's a man who knew something about who God was and what God wanted to do. And he must have trusted in those prophecies from the Old Testament. So when the angel talks to him, the angel quotes the prophecies from Isaiah, from Isaiah 7:14, where he says the Lord's going to give a sign, the virgin will conceive, give birth to a son, call him Emmanuel. And Joseph would have recognized those words. Growing up in the synagogue, he would have heard them. So we know that Joseph is a man who's familiar with the faith of his forefathers. He's also brave enough to actually believe them. And he believed that one day God was going to send a Messiah. He somehow trusted himself to the mysteries of God. And if some heavenly being was telling him that his fiance was going to give birth to the Savior of the world, well, somehow his imagination could handle that. Joseph was a man of faith, and he was patiently waiting for God to do what he said he was going to do hundreds of years before. So as I think about Joseph, I see his faithfulness to the things of God. He knew the scriptures, and he believed the story. Joseph wasn't selfish. He could have divorced Mary quietly, and no one would have given him a hard time. People would have understood and supported him. And yet, he lets his good reputation and his standing in the community right thing. Because more than that, he wants a pure heart before God. And he chooses the right thing, to marry his pregnant fiance and to let people raise their eyebrows. As I was reading about the birth of Jesus, I read something that Kenneth Bailey wrote. He's this Middle Eastern and biblical expert. He spent 40 years living in Egypt, uh, Lebanon, Jerusalem, Cyprus. And he tries to understand the Bible through Middle Eastern eyes um, rather than his own Western culture. And so he says that at this time, simple um, village homes in Bethlehem would have had two rooms. So the main room was the family living space, and then the other was for guests. So the guest room was called the Catalima, and it's been translated as inn in the Bible, but it's really more um, of a guest room. And then there would be a small space, uh, which was usually a lower room where the animals could be brought in for the night. And sometimes the lower room was actually like right under the house, and so it would have kind of served as a heating system and kept the house warm during the chilly months. So we've got the main family room, a little guest room, and then space for the animals. This would have been your average home. So there was no hotels or inns or Airbnbs at this time. When people traveled, they would stay in the guest room of somebody's home. So when everyone's relatives are coming back to Bethlehem for the census, this would have been like a huge family reunion. You'd have cousins and second cousins and aunts and uncles and whoever coming to your hometown. So when we hear the word inn in the Bible story, it's not like an inn that we imagine in Vermont or Niagara-on-the-Lake. It's not even something more modest like the Crestwood Motel on Plains Road. It's actually more like this. This is the sort of inn where Joseph and Mary would have stayed, and the guest room was already occupied, so they would have stayed with the family in the main room. It might have been a distant cousin, maybe a shirt-tailed relative, 
But this is where Mary would have given birth to Jesus, in the family room of a home, surrounded by the woman of the house and probably a couple of neighbor ladies down the street, maybe the local midwife. They would have been boiling water, getting towels ready. I'm sure the gossip train was just as effective back then as it is now, and people would have known that somebody was about to have a baby. You know, did you hear? Remember Joseph? His family used to live on such and such a street. Well, guess what? He's back in town. And did you hear? It's not like Joseph was hiding out in Bethlehem in a little room by himself and Mary quietly becoming a father to this newborn baby, saying, okay, God, I'll do this, and hopefully no one will notice this unusual pregnancy. It's not like he could have disappeared for a while and then miraculously came back with a wife and child. Instead, he was surrounded by people who sort of knew him. This was his hometown. Everybody would have wanted to know what was going on, and everybody would have been talking, and Joseph's life would be private no more. Who knows, but my guess is that Joseph probably didn't want the limelight particularly due to a questionable pregnancy. And yet, he was a man of integrity, and he chose to live with a pure heart before God, and he sacrificed his reputation, his good name, and risked being, being the talk of the town. He did not depend on the affection and approval of his friends and neighbors but he cared for and provided for Mary and this new baby, putting the well-being of others above his own sense of comfort. The last thing I notice about Joseph is that he's willing to let go of the life he thought he would have. He'd be life to thought that he was just gonna marry a nice girl, settle down and live a quiet, happy life together as a carpenter. Instead, he's the father to Jesus and all the questions and disruptions that would have come with. And he's making a plan of escape to Egypt for his family. He's doing whatever the wise and prudent thing is to care for a young family. Being a refugee in a foreign country with a new language, living among strangers was probably not part of Joseph's 10-year plan. He didn't ask for any of it, and he probably didn't want a bunch of it. And yet, he lets go of what life might have been and wholeheartedly embraces the life that God has given him. We see the way that Joseph provides for Mary, takes care of his young family, and somehow he's come to terms with the life that he now has. He doesn't yearn for what could have been or rebels against what is, but he accepts and submits to what God has for him. I think there's something in there for us. This is what I love about the, about the Christmas story, is that we have ordinary people doing extraordinary things, and Joseph was a good man. He was a godly man who knew the story of the scriptures. He wasn't selfish and he cared about other people more than he cared about himself. And finally, he said yes to God's plan. Even though his plan was really okay, he said yes to God's plan. And I think this is what makes Joseph a godly man.
You might wonder why Joseph is our person for the week of love. And I know this picture might be a little too sweet, but I kind of like it. I like the fact that it shows some love between Joseph and Mary and that they're united on this path that God has put them on. Maybe I'm wrong, but my guess is that Joseph really loved Mary. I think we often have sentimental ideas about love. Rom-coms are great for this, ideal worlds, ideal people, and everything is wrapped up so nicely in 90 minutes. Actually, anything in the entertainment world does this well. Love is quick, easy, usually self-serving, and most likely doesn't cost much. But Joseph is a man who I think really knew something about love. I think he knew that God loved the world, that God loved him. And I think he was trying to love like that. He loved courageously and unselfishly and without knowing the end game. His life of love was being a strong and loving husband to Mary and providing for and protecting Jesus. And it was all motivated by a deep love for God. The Brothers Karamazov says, active love is a harsh and fearful thing compared with love and dreams. Love and dreams thirst for immediate action, quickly performed and with everyone watching, whereas active love is labor and perseverance. Joseph lived the sort of life that required hard work and perseverance. I have new respect and affection for this man. Joseph often gets overlooked, but I think we've got a man here who knows something about living a life of love before God. So this next week or two, maybe you've got some time off or some leisurely mornings or evenings. I want to encourage you to soak yourself in these stories of Mary and Joseph, the shepherds, the magi, Elizabeth and Zechariah, Simeon and Anna, Read through Matthew and Luke. For the kids here this morning, I know your teachers have been encouraging you to bring your Bibles to church and read them. This is good. But don't just flip open your Bible. Some parts of the Bible are easier to understand than others. So start with Matthew chapter 1 and 2. Or read the first couple chapters of Luke. And for those of us who have heard these stories before, hear them again for the first time. Just let them linger in your mind a little. Ponder them in your heart like Mary did. Engage your imaginations. Remember, these are real people in real time. And get to know them through these stories because one day you're going to meet each other in the next world. Ask the Spirit as you slowly read these biblical stories to invigorate your imagination. Allow the Spirit to teach you, to encourage you, convict you. These scriptures, these stories, these are the light to our path. These words are sweeter than honey. Read this perfect story. May our great and almighty God and master storyteller be with you this week. And so as we look at this table this morning this table here. This is the table of love. And the food on this table is a love feast because it is not just bread and juice, but it is life for the future when everything is made right. And one day we will be sitting around a much bigger table with everyone throughout history who has said yes to Jesus. This table is our hope, peace, joy, and love for today. And this is our sustenance that is going to get us through the next week. It is God with us.
I love Lucy Shaw's image of communion as a bunch of little birds lined up ready to eat their crumbs of bread. That's us and the bread of life. These are the crumbs that feed us. And as we look back to the story that started it all, we've got Jesus being born in that crowded family room, dying a traitor's death, overcoming evil and darkness, and saying hello to Mary that Sunday morning in the garden. This is God's story that God is writing. And it includes us. It's for us. And this meal, this dinner with Jesus, is for you and for me as well. Kayla, our children's pastor, is going to come and lead us through communion now. <laughs> 